indeed. Open with me, if you would, in your copy of God's Word, or in the bulletin, to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus 4, and we're going to read verses 1 to 17. Hear now God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. And just as a brief preface in case you missed it, this is Moses before God in the burning bush, which has just happened in chapter 3. So this is God and Moses conversing while he's at the burning bush. Verse 1, then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth. And you shall be as God to him. And take in your hands this staff with which you shall do the signs. Thus far, God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing on it. Our God, we do thank you that you provide these ancient words. And we ask that you would open our hearts. That you would teach us what you have for us today by your spirit. Because we have no strength in ourselves. Not in our strength, but in yours, Lord. Show us what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. In November of 2021, Reader's Digest published an article. I was surprised to find out that Reader's Digest still existed. Apparently, it is still a thing. 
So in November 2020, an article was ran, and it was a list of lame and funny excuses that people have given for things. And Sandra from Florida says, you know, my husband hasn't been to the gym in over a year. One day I asked him, hey, would you come to the gym with me? Or do you want to come to the gym with me? And he says, no, I need to lose a few pounds before I go back. And what's, what's the humor? What's the irony? Well, that's what the gym is for. And his response is funny and ironic because the request is what's supposed to help you with what your excuse is. Well, in much the same way, Moses' excuses, and I'm going to call them excuses. It's, it's funny, the title that you see in your ESV says something like Moses given powerful signs, which is true, but it could also be like headed Moses' excuses. Uh, Moses' excuses are ironic in light of the requestor. God has just, in Exodus 3, appeared to him in a burning bush and said, I am going to work powerful signs and wonders. And God says, or excuse me, Moses says, well, but they won't believe. I'm not any good. Please send someone else. And Moses' excuses are ironic in light of the requester, but they're not abnormal. And so, much like Moses, we too have a reaction, a response to God that is ironic in light of who God is and what He can do in us and through us, but it's not abnormal. We're much more like Moses because we lean in the same direction. But God doesn't let Moses off the hook, does He? Each one, God intentionally works in spite of and even through Moses' weaknesses for the purpose of displaying His saving power. And so that's what I want you to see from this text as we move through it today, is that God works in spite of and even through our weaknesses to display his saving power. And there's three main weaknesses, I think, that we see in the text. The first, I mentioned them briefly, belief. They won't believe. The second is, I don't have the ability, I can't speak well, and the third is, reluctance or simply unwillingness send someone else so that's that's the organization of our text today and you see Moses first expresses the unbelief of the people but I think Moses is masking some of his own unbelief here like God has just appeared to him miraculously and said I'm going to work wonderful signs well but God I I have this friend back in Egypt, and he's not likely to believe you. Can, can you maybe, you know, prove to me that you're going to, you know, be behind me and when I speak to them? You know, and I think Moses is talking a little bit about himself, but he is talking about the Israelites who are not going to believe. But God has said, Pharaoh's not going to believe. He's not going to let the people go unless he is pressed with a mighty hand. And so I'm going to work signs and wonders. God, how are they going to know that you sent me and that I'm speaking the truth? Well, God's miraculous power overcomes the people's weakness. It's what, he, what he does is he makes Moses' staff turn into a snake. And then he tells Moses, grab it, get it back, and it turns back into a staff. He makes Moses' hand miraculously become leprous. Put your hand in your cloak. It's diseased with leprosy. Put it back, and now it's clean. And then lastly... It's not a sign that he shows to Moses yet. He shows Moses the staff to snake 
snake to staff. He shows Moses the leprous hand. And then he says, if the people don't believe those two things, you will, in the future, take blood from the Nile, pour it on the ground, and it will become as blood for the purpose of people believing. Several of you might know the name Warren Buffett, the Oracle of Omaha. Uh, Warren Buffett is a famous investor. He's called an oracle because he's been very successful in his investments with certain companies. What if, what if tomorrow Warren Buffett started predicting seemingly impossible things to predict and forecast? Like if he came up tomorrow and said, Apple is going to file for bankruptcy, and then it happened the next day. Or Tesla's share price is going to decrease by $10.37, and then it happened the next day. You would start to take his words very seriously, right? And you might even consider making some of these same investment decisions that Warren Buffett has made. Well, in an even greater way, God is going to perform miraculous signs for the purpose of people believing that his words are true through Moses. And that gets at the purpose. The, uh, just understand theologically or systematically in the Bible, this is part of the main purpose of miracles in the Bible. The main purpose of miracles in the Bible is to validate the message of the messenger to prove that he's really from God. Um, this is what Jesus says in John 14. It's the ultimate purposes of Jesus' miracles. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else, believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus is saying, listen to me. What I'm telling you is true. I'm the one way to God through my sacrifice. But if you don't believe the words that I'm telling you, just on account of me telling you, believe because of the miraculous signs that have proven what I've said is true. You know, the ultimate purpose of Jesus' miracles, his, his physical healing, his raising people from the dead, his healing the sight of the blind, is not health, is not that healing in and of itself. It's to validate who he is and what he's saying. And it happens again and again and again. And it culminates, you could say, in the resurrection when he's raised from the dead. Miracles are performed over and over. There's one more, there's one more, and there's one more. And then there's finally his resurrection from the dead that is like the stamp or the seal of the proof of who he is. But the people still don't all believe, do they? And that's part of our problem, isn't it? Despite again and again and again, we don't believe. Don't you find it interesting in, in this section, in, in this section of Scripture in verses 8 and 9, God says, do the staff to snake thing, do the leprous hand thing, and if they don't believe one, they might believe the other. I mean, in my head I'm thinking, if I saw someone actually turn a staff into a snake, I would believe. But God expects some not to. Well, do the, do the hand leprous thing. And God expects some not to. And if they don't believe either one of those, then do the, the water of the Nile to blood thing. I'm going to do that through you. Again and again, and 
We just want one more thing. If I could just see a miracle, man, then I would have much more faith in God. Or some people, you know, I'm not going to believe in God unless He shows me Himself in some physical, tangible way and makes the chairs fly up from this sanctuary. Then I would believe. But that's our problem. We have a weakness of unbelief, just like Moses and just like the people again and again and again. Even as mature Christians, we disbelieve and we doubt because we forget. We're so forgetful, just like the Israelites, all of the works and wonders that God has done both in Scripture and in our lives. We forget and then we turn into despair and disbelief, having forgotten what God has done. But while we were still weak, Romans 5, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Brothers and sisters, Christ died for your unbelief. Even as mature Christians, we have a lack of belief at several times in our lives. Christ died for that weakness, for that sin of unbelief. We see God's miraculous power to overcome unbelief as he's showing that he's going to do uh, through Moses and he's showing it to Moses in this account and it points toward the same thing in Christ. But we have, we have another weakness, don't we? What's the next, next weakness that we see Moses speak of? A weakness of ability. Verses 10, verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Moses literally in the original says, I am not a word man or I'm not a man of words. And then later on, you know, it says I'm slow of speech and tongue. And so our translation sort of smooths that out to give the idea of eloquence. So that's why you see I am not eloquent. But literally he just says I am not a man of of words. I'm slow of speech and tongue. But God has just shown him miraculous signs that he's going to work through him. And then Moses turns to himself and says, but I can't talk good. Now, imagine that you have in your possession a really, really fast sports car. I mean, so just so you know, like a really fast sports car can make a quarter mile in under 10 seconds. Some can even make it in under nine seconds. So you've got this really fast sports car and you, and you sit someone else down inside of it. You give them the keys. You say, all right, there's the quarter mile. I want you to make that quarter mile in 30 seconds. Piece of cake, right? But they look at you and say, but I can't walk very fast. I can't run very fast. That's why I gave you the car. That's why I gave you the keys. Moses, I gave you the staff that you're going to perform the wondrous signs. It's not about your strength and ability. Now, does Moses start to sound like somebody else you know here? Is there a friend that you know that starts to turn inward and look at themselves and how weak and unable they are and think that it's not about God and His power? Do you have a friend who needs to think about this? What does God say to Moses? I made your mouth. I'm the manufacturer. I'm the one who opens it up and closes it, who opens the eyes and closes the eyes. Is Bob Morrison here today? There he is. 
Bob Morris. Didn't know he was going to be a sermon illustration today. But there's been several things that have been getting fixed and put together in the church. And, and we have a, you know, a home that's coming together. And I've asked Bob a question about the house. And he's like, call the manufacturer. And then something else is going on in the church here. And I see an email. And he says, I called the manufacturer. Well, we call the manufacturer because they're the ones who built it. They're the ones who know the most and best how to fix it, repair it, replace it, whatever. God is saying, I'm the manufacturer. I'm the manufacturer of your person, of all of your ability, of your mouth. I can turn it on and off providentially or supernaturally. I want to think about this piece of text specifically as it applies to the area of our evangelism. Our evangelism and ability to communicate and speak with others the gospel. Have you ever thought, I'm going to tell you right now I have, I'm just not good at sharing the gospel. I just can't get all of that theology in my head and out. I don't know that much. I'm not really that good at answering people's questions. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 2? I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 2, I didn't come to you with the gospel with eloquence. I didn't come as a man of words. I came and decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came with this simple thing. What is our gospel? What is the gospel in the Bible? We are sinners who are separated from God. God has provided the way of salvation by faith in Jesus to live the life we didn't live, to die the death we deserve. Repent of your sin and trust in Him for eternal life. That's the gospel in in two sentences. Now, granted, there is more. There's more to a fuller understanding of the Bible and of the Christian life. Uh, There are more things to talk about but that is the basic essential thing to understand that's what the thief on the cross understood i'm a sinner you are the savior i trust in you remember me when you come into your kingdom that's what you need to know and that's what needs to be communicated now it's also not to say that there's no difference between evangelists right there there are differing levels of ability in evangelism and communicating some people are better communicators than the others But the point is this, my point is this, I think God's point is this with Moses. It doesn't hang on your shoulders. It doesn't hang on your ability to communicate so eloquently to convince someone to repent and believe in Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that changes hearts. And so when you come into those interactions with people, in your mind, just let that first thing, God, I'm getting into this spiritual conversation with this person. Please use my words. Give me words. Whatever it is, just work through it. Work through my inadequacy, my inability, that they would have another seed planted. And that your Holy Spirit would make it grow at some point in their life. It hinges on the Holy Spirit and not upon you. And in that sense, this is actually really freeing, isn't it? It's not a burden upon you to change the heart. God is going to work through 
your weak mouth to change people. He uses the foolishness of our ability, the, the inability. He uses the foolishness of the cross, and the Holy Spirit changes the heart. But man, that means relationship building and like talking to my neighbor across the street or the cubicle, and I don't even really like them that much. I mean, it's uncomfortable. My Lord, please send someone else. Verse 13. Does Moses sound like anyone else you know? Do you have a friend who like sometimes says, oh, I just really don't feel like doing that? The area of loving our neighbor is one area in which we can say like, ha, ah, too much work, unwillingness. But this could apply to any other area that God has called you to participate in, any situation. What we do see from Moses, though, is this unwillingness. Whether it's a lack of confidence in God, because God has said, I'm going to work through your mouth, I'm going to perform signs and wonders. A lack of confidence in God, or just a simple despair at the difficulty. It's difficult to wrangle stiff-necked sheep. And that's what we are. And so you can understand, after all of this time, through chapter 3 and 4, that God's anger is kindled with Moses. Moses has come with excuse after excuse after excuse, and this is the righteous, holy, good, appropriate anger of God, which is often unlike our inappropriate, unrighteous anger. Oftentimes we start with righteous anger, we are upset at someone sinning against us, uh, in the right way, but then it quickly escalates to unrighteous anger, vengeance, uh, bitterness. But we hear, see, here see God's righteous anger against Moses. He's going to work miraculous signs, put words in Moses' mouth, and Moses essentially says, but I don't want to go to the Hebrews. Please send someone else. But what do we see God respond with? God provides others to work with and through your weakness. Isn't there Aaron, your brother? He is a man of words. I'm going to work through him. I'm going to speak to you, and you're going to then speak to Aaron, and Aaron will convey it as a man of words to the people. God works with and through other people to work with and through your weaknesses and Moses' weakness. Is there any husband out there who thinks that their wife compliments them very well? Every hand, every hand. Yes, yes, good, good. Right? Don't we have this experience in marriages where we have a weakness and my spouse compliments it, right? God provides that in marriage. He provides the same thing in the body of Christ. And so, as Christians in the church, we know that there are people who have varying degrees and abilities. And, you know, Moses here, we don't know what it was. Was it just he felt like he could only speak simply? Uh, maybe he had a stutter whenever he got up in front of people to speak publicly. It could have been something like that. God says, I'm going to work through that. So, just as we see it here, in our body, in the church, expect weakness. 
expect an area of weakness in yourself and in others. And so if it's an area of weakness in yourself, it's going to be you who has to say, I need help. That's not easy to do because it means we have to admit that we're not, we're not everything that everybody else thinks we are. Hey, I have an area of weakness. Expect an area of weakness in others that you might have to supplement. Right? So, not every person is going to be the best planner and organizer. Not every person is going to be the best uh, social butterfly. Precious is the social butterfly. I'm not the social butterfly. Okay? But know that other people will have this weakness that you can help supplement. But lastly on this, don't let an area of weakness become an excuse for non-participation or for non-help. What Moses is trying to do here is say, I can't do it, I'm too weak, send someone else to do it. Don't let your area of weakness be an excuse for non-participation. So for example, I use the example of organizational ability. I'm not the best organizer and planner. I, I can't do anything with a men's retreat or women's retreat or uh, some church event. I'm just not even going to be involved at all. Don't let your, maybe you can't be the head honcho, right? But don't let your area of weakness be an excuse for total non-participation. Someone else will do it. That's not me. I'm not good at it. I'm not saying you need to pick out your area of weakness and then try to do everything in that area on purpose, okay? Uh, Recognize that you have strengths and weaknesses, but don't let that area of weakness simply cut you out or count you out or be an excuse for you to hide behind in whatever area it might be. Well, lastly on this is to know this. God can and will use your areas of weakness to minister to others. So the areas in which you struggle, you know, is is there a, a physical malady that you might have? Is there an emotional, mental uh, struggle that you have? Is there a sin struggle that you have or have had that you continue to battle? God can work through those weaknesses. It, It doesn't take away the sinfulness of the sin if it is something related to sin. Obviously, physical maladies, you know, not necessarily related to sin. But if there is a weakness and a struggle in a sin area, God can use that to help others. You know, Corinthians reminds us that God comforts us in our afflictions, and he does that so that we would comfort others in their afflictions. God can use your weakness and pain to minister to others, whether it's a physical thing, whether it's an experience that you've had in life, um, some great, tragic, and horrible or fantastic thing, God can work through that weakness in the lives of others and even sin. Well, as we look at the sum total of all of these weaknesses, the weakness of belief, ability, and the unwillingness that we have, as we look at this account, I want us to see how the Redeemer, little r, Moses, points forward to the big R, Christ Jesus. 
And as I read through this account, and I thought about the ways in which this foreshadows positively and negatively, both it, it compares to Christ, but it also contrasts Christ in some ways. It's like watching the first season of a TV, of a TV show. Even if you don't watch TV shows, you understand that there are these things called TV shows and they occur in seasons. And sometimes a show is really good at the start, but then, you know, season two, three, four, it, you know, it kind of went downhill after that. Then there are these, there's other shows where it's like, man, the first season, the second season, they were, they were just kind of so-so. You could tell it was a good show, but it took like season three, four, five for the actors and the characters to really come into themselves and for the show to be really really good and then the threads that were started earlier start to tie together in the later seasons i read this account and i think of like season two of a show that's good but not great it's like really good that god is going to work through moses that he provides a rescue out of egypt but when you look at moses and his frailty it's like, good, but not great. But when you finally, through the chapters, through the seasons of redemptive history, move forward to season, call it five or six or seven, whatever it is, and you get to Jesus Christ and the threads from the previous seasons start to come together, what do you have? You have a Savior who is completely willing. I mean, work backward through the, uh, through the passage here. You have a Savior who is completely willing. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For this very purpose I have come, to do your will, to die on the cross, salvation for sinners. Jesus Christ, a person who has complete ability, you know, in whose mouth were the words. You know, Moses says in Deuteronomy 18, they're gonna, God will raise up a prophet like me. And God will put and God says, I'm going to put my words in his mouth and you'll believe what he speaks. Doesn't that sound like Moses? I'm going to put my words in your mouth and the people are going to believe. And that's a prophecy of Jesus. I'm going to put my words in Jesus' mouth. You're going to believe because he is able. He has the words to speak. I will raise up a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And then the last thing in Christ, or the first thing we looked at in the sermon here, was these supernatural works. The miracles that God said he's going to do through Moses. See how that points forward to Christ. Yes, in his miraculous signs and wonders that he gave in his earthly life so that people would believe, but think of the better exodus. I mean, it's great that the people were brought out of slavery from slavery in Egypt. But the better exodus through the better supernatural work is salvation from sin. Brought out of slavery to sin in union with Christ. That occurs through a supernatural work in a virgin birth. A supernatural ability to live a sinless life as the God-man. God supernaturally imputing, reckoning the righteousness of Christ to us and supernaturally reckoning our sin to Him. That's the better supernatural work that God does to bring about the real exodus. And that's what this is pointing to, the work that God is going to do. And when we see ourselves, and we see Moses, and we see the frailty, we can just say, 
thank God that you are able, that Christ is able, that it's all his willingness, his ability, the supernatural work done in his person and in his life. And that even continues now. Thank God that it doesn't hang upon me. It hung upon Christ, even as he hung on the tree, you could say. And then you can continue that prayer. God, then, thank you for Christ, but work through me. Just like through Moses. Not with miraculous signs and wonders, but with your supernatural power that you would use my weakness to help somebody else. That you would use my inadequate words to share the gospel with somebody else. That even though I'm not the best relationship builder, that I would at least have some willingness to reach out to my neighbor in whatever proximity they are to say, would you come over for dinner? And the relationship begins to be built and the gospel begins to be shared over the course of time. That is our prayer. Thank you, God, for Christ, who is better than this, better than this Moses, better than us. Work through me. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you that you are a God who is completely able, who has all strength and might and power and glory. We see Christ and we see his complete willingness and ability. We ask that you would increase our faith, increase our belief, help our unbelief as we look to Christ our Savior. Work in us and through us in spite of our weaknesses to display your saving power because we ask in Jesus' name, amen.